This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Kia ora e te whanau, ko Bevan Morgan Aho, and you are listening to Offspring, a podcast all about the anxieties of a parenting journey. This is episode one, The Fear. Just a quick content note, this episode is going to deal with the topics of mental health and addiction. I want to give you a bit of a background about me and what the purpose of the show is before we continue. So please just bear with me for a few moments if that's alright. My name is Bevan Morgan. I'm married to my amazing wife Gemma and we have a one-year-old daughter named Ava Kennedy Morgan. Are you recording? Yeah. (laughs) I love my daughter more than anything. And after a year, I think I'm starting to get used to some of the trials and tribulations of being a dad and getting through some problems without dissolving into a pile of immovable sand. But for most of my parenthood journey, it's been an incredibly isolating experience and the guilt of finding it such a negative one has been so overwhelming at times that I've often struggled to envisage a future where I would even have a family. Despite Gemma's insistent protestations when I spoke to her about these things, I couldn't believe her and couldn't imagine her staying with me because of how poorly I was coping and how horrible I could sometimes be. It's been tough since the moment we decided to have a child because that decision for me was really difficult. For most of my adult life, I didn't want to have kids. Or perhaps more specifically, I didn't believe I should have kids. We'll get to unpack some of the stuff later on and throughout the course of the show, but for the moment we'll park it and I'll just continue giving the Cliff Notes version of how things changed. It wasn't until I met Gemma that the question of kids started to come up because she definitely wanted kids and she made that clear early so I knew right from the start there was no hiding it and I knew that I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life so having a kid would definitely be something on the cards in the future. After years of talking about it more and more, we finally bit the bullet and I said I was ready, which wasn't true at all, but you're never really ready, I suppose, are you? Even though I knew there was no moment where it would suddenly all click together and the anxiety would disappear, I hoped that if we had at least made the decision and were committing to it, there would be more clarity and I would start to change. It wasn't quite that simple though. The pregnancy was tough 
as was the birth itself. And I loved my daughter from the first moment. Of course I did. That's as biological as it is anything else. But that doesn't necessarily help things. It's a disorienting experience to know that you love someone so much, but can so often find yourself struggling in your life with them. I would hear people tell me it was rewarding, but there have been so many times where it hasn't been. In those early days, for example, nothing is rewarding about sleeping in 90-minute cycles and living with the constant fear that your child isn't getting enough fluids or isn't safe or isn't doing what they're meant to be doing developmentally. As time progresses, your child can give you some signals and responses and bonding can build. Some mothers have a real natural instinct that comes from being an incubator for nine months. The standing in the kitchen at 3am after 60 to 90 minutes of shallow dozing with a baby screaming at you while you desperately try to prepare a bottle in the dark, that's not rewarding. That's like punishment. And I found myself constantly questioning how anyone could possibly want to do this or could possibly enjoy it. So what exactly is the purpose of the show then? Well, I want to look at parenthood framed through the emotions of reluctance, anxiety, and vulnerability, and also through the lens of chronic and lifelong mental illness. I want to share the ups and downs of my journey in part so I can process them, but mostly in the hopes that there are others out there who can relate. In the early days of the pregnancy, I tried to seek the voices of people who sounded like me, and I mostly came up with nothing. A lot of the voices speaking about parenthood from the perspective of a father were obsessed with just trivial crap, like losing the ability to go out with the fellas. But I didn't go out with the fellas anyway. I'm an antisocial grouch who doesn't drink, so I'm not a lot of fun at the best of times. Other resources just made me feel like a failure before I had even started. None of it felt hugely relevant, and while I'm sure there's lots of great stuff out there, I struggled to find it when I could have really used it. So I'm just trying to create another resource, I guess. The resource that I hoped would have been there when I was seeking help. I just want honest and vulnerable discussions around parenthood for anyone in a similar situation. My experiences are not uncommon, and they are certainly not even remotely special. I know that there are lots of people, fathers and mothers alike, who will have similar experiences, and similar questions that I had, and frankly, much worse experiences too. But I don't want to feel alone, and I don't want others to feel alone either. So we know why I'm a father. That's a pretty easy question to answer. I love my wife, and I wanted to be in a family with her. I trusted her, and I believed her when she told me it would all be okay. The unpleasant one to unpack is why I didn't want to be a father originally. And that one is much more difficult to answer, because it brings with it a lot of painful memories, a huge amount of vulnerability, and lots of honesty. It's what I want to focus on today, because when I told people I didn't want kids, they always scoffed and thought I was lying or trying to be edgy. I always heard it would change and how you're so good with kids, you obviously want them. I'd have to explain that I didn't hate kids, I quite liked kids. I didn't want them because there was no way I had the mental capacity or resilience to ensure their lives were lived healthily and with love. In time, I began to embody the character of the aloof man-child, and while part of me probably is a bit of that, there's no doubt that part of me was just playing up to the role, because it was too embarrassing to talk about the deeper emotions under the surface, and the all-encompassing fears that I felt. 
There was a night about 10 years ago when I lived in London by myself. I was not in a positive headspace, and I actually plan to go over this period in a bit more detail in another episode in a few weeks. But to set the scene, it was late at night, probably early morning. It was dark, except for maybe the light of my laptop and the occasional flicker of my lighter and whatever ambient light was outside the window I had opened. I was in a room about the size of a shoebox. It was disgusting. I was just living my worst life. I was lonely, and I was wasted. Now, the specifics don't really matter, but I was definitely pretty far gone. I was in the midst of a failed attempt to get sober, and because it was a relapse, everything was hitting me pretty hard. And this one night, I don't know what it was about the particular mix of substances or the brain chemistry I had at that time, or exactly what the circumstances were, but I was having these horrifyingly vivid visions of what I looked like. And I don't mean hallucinations or something cheesy like that. It was more like the most empathy you could ever experience. I was looking at myself from the position of other people around me. I could see myself through the eyes of my parents, former bosses, friends, girlfriends. And I was replaying incidents over in my mind from their perspectives. You you know when you do bad stuff and you... You just bury it deep down in that part of you that just keeps smothering the memory for the rest of your life in a vain hope that it will eventually die. Well, I went into that place and I was digging. All of those memories came rushing back in the most suffocating way. And then I really started thinking about my parents. They had sort of flashed in before, but now I started to really, really dig in. I was nearly 27. At the time, my prospects were bleak. I was broke. I was working what were really just entry-level office jobs designed for people coming out of school. Basically, I had torpedoed a relationship within a couple of months because of my drinking. I was rudderless, directionless, lost. And I didn't want to be alive all that much. And that's not to say I was suicidal. It was more nihilism, I suppose. I'd basically been dealing with depression for most of the past 12 to 13 years at that point. And I didn't really know that wasn't actually normal. And there were things you could do about it, other than occasionally taking fluoxetine and spending every waking hour intoxicated. As I sat there alone on the end of a single bed, in a box room in the dark, overlooking an overgrown lawn that foxes were breeding in, it hit me. I was never going to get married and have kids. I could barely survive the day at this stage in my life. Everything I touched turned to crap, and there was no way anyone like me should be let anywhere near the maternity ward. Now that realisation wasn't actually as painful as you might expect. It was actually almost like a relief of sorts. I didn't understand mental illness or even the most basic parts of living as an adult at that stage. And actually, that's not to say I do now, but I have a better grasp on things. Back then, I was constantly searching for a single solution to all my problems. Not happy in New Zealand? I'll move overseas. Everything will fall into place. I'm lonely? I'll hook up with the first girl that shows any interest and everything will fall into place. I'm worried I've got addiction issues. Well, I'll just sober up and everything will fall into place. It took me a long time to learn that you can't do that. You need to keep moving and dress all your little issues in different ways. And 
there is no finish line. But at this time, I was looking for a single solution. So it was kind of freeing to knock family life out the way as a goal, because it would be so much easier to find single solutions when I wasn't going to have to involve marriage and a child. And then I thought about my parents again, and all I'd put them through, and was putting them through at that time. And then I imagined the conversation I would have to have with them one day to tell them that while I knew they wanted grandkids, they weren't getting any from me. You can't explain these moments without sounding cliche because it all sounds so cinematic, I guess. When you present these sorts of incidents outside context, they sound like they just happened out of nowhere. Whereas it's much more Hegelian than that. Like for years there had been battling thoughts acting as thesis and antithesis, rumbling away, and this realization was my synthesis. So I'm not trying to convince you that I'd never thought about these questions of parenthood or even marriage. Of course I had. Every time I got excited that I might have made a potential partner that would solve all my issues, I would embrace the thoughts and picture the future in the most insanely unrealistic ways possible. I would picture myself getting my photo taken at the top of Everest without thinking about all the crevasses and blizzards and dead bodies that would need to be encountered to get to that point. Okay, maybe dead bodies is a touch dramatic, but hopefully you get the sentiment. As soon as I inevitably screwed up my circumstances though, I'd push those thoughts back aside because to confront them head on would be to confront my own failings as a person. And that's a tough proposition to handle, particularly when you're already dealing with substantial emotional pain. A recent breakup, years of anxiety and self-loathing aided by an unexpectedly potent cocktail of narcotics made all this come to the surface for whatever reason that night. To sound even more cliche, I suppose, I imagine when things like this happen to us, we find ourselves at an intersection, or a junction, or a roundabout, or whatever roading terminology you want to use. It seems like there are many ways to go. Some will use it as fuel to make positive changes. Others will work their asses off burying it and pretending nothing happened. I chose a different route but one that I imagine is still a popular choice for people who find themselves in a similar situation. I chose to accept my fate, run up the white flag, and use this realization as an excuse to give up and to embrace a sense of nihilism and selfishness about my life. For me, sitting there in those moments, I wasn't going to have kids, but not because I hated them, or because I wanted to be some sort of wild bachelor for the rest of my life. There are people out there that don't want to have kids because they don't like kids and because they want to live their lives unburdened by the tedium and rigors that start to dictate your life when a child manifests itself into your existence. And that's okay. Kids aren't for everyone. But the reasons why people might say they don't want kids are complex and you shouldn't just assume you know why. People deserve to have others be patient with them and not tell them what they think or what they will think. I didn't think I deserved kids. I didn't think I deserved a wife. And I felt I would have neither and that I couldn't have either. I was poison to anyone I encountered in my life, so inevitably I'd be poison on a family too. That narrative began to take over as one of the dominant narratives that underpinned my entire existence. 
Even when we decided to start trying for a child, I didn't really engage with the idea of what fatherhood would look like in any truly meaningful way. In our lives, I do most of the life admin, which is kind of horrifying for anyone who knows me. I'm not good at it. It just turns out that neither is Gemma, and she's the breadwinner in our house and is focused on her career, so I do most of it by default. But I did almost zero admin for preparing to have a baby outside of trying to find books that would reassure me and make me feel better. Everything else just kind of got put into the too hard basket and things seemed to be working out without me needing to do much so I didn't really try to change the situation. Gemma, meanwhile, apparently picked up a PhD in obstetrics and reproduction. She had everything planned to the nth degree and I literally only just found out what that actually felt like for her. When I told her about this show and listed the episodes I was planning to do, she told me I should do one on the journey towards actually getting pregnant. In my seemingly never-ending quest to ensure that nobody ever nominates me for husband of the year, I told her that I couldn't do an episode on that because there was not enough content. This show would be over in five minutes because it was all so straightforward. After the rage-induced shock of my bold statement wore off, she was quick to provide me with a counter-narrative, lest I go through the rest of my life thinking that Ava just happened because getting pregnant is such a doddle. Looking back, I think I was just very dismissive of the idea that it really needed to be worked at. And I have no doubt a lot of this was due to the fact that working on it would really mean tackling everything head-on emotionally. But also I think it was just dismissive because of all the years as a teenager basically being told that teen pregnancy was a fate worse than death which by the way can we stop that and it would happen if you even so much as looked at a girl without using prophylactics now obviously my knowledge of the intricacies of how life comes to fruition have improved somewhat since then but i do think that messaging has also distorted my perception somewhat of just what is involved in getting pregnant a lot of the time particularly for the person actually hosting the baby for Gemma, getting pregnant involved a lot of research, planning, medical interventions and logistics, all of which I kind of just ignored and went along with. So yeah, I'm a late bloomer, I guess. It's only really since Ava came into our lives that I've truly had to confront myself and my fears and anxieties and insecurities in any meaningful way. It didn't help that, as I mentioned earlier, when I did try and engage with these thoughts, I was discouraged by the information, particularly for men that I found. COVID inevitably also got in the way of us doing things like hapu wānanga, and missing out on those warm-ups meant that I kind of just belly-flopped into the deep end of the pool while wearing cement board shorts. So that's what this show is. It's me trying to unpack my emotions and my fears surrounding this absolutely ludicrous journey that we call parenthood. Obviously I'm a father, but I'm not just wanting to speak to fathers. I'm wanting to reach anyone who's thinking of embarking on the journey, people who are on the journey, people who can't take the journey, people that have finished the journey. I, I guess anyone remotely within the vicinity of the parenthood journey, really. Over the next bunch of episodes, I'm going to cover off a variety of different topics and relate different experiences in different ways. Now, some will be bleak and others will sound really selfish. And that's because sometimes parenthood is bleak or selfish, or it's bleak and selfish. But if I do a halfway decent job, 
I'll also be able to express to you the absolutely profound love that I have for my daughter, despite all my own mental misgivings. This isn't an advice show. I don't have advice to give. I'm a father who barely holds it together, and by other people's standards, I'm not holding it together at all. But in my better moments, I understand that is actually okay, and I'm not alone. So if you're feeling reluctant or anxious, and you don't back yourself as a parent, or you don't think you're good enough, I see you. I really do. I can't tell you that you're good enough, because I don't know you. But I do see you, and you're absolutely 100% not alone. Just 
That was Desperate Journalist with The Fear, a cover of the classic pulp song from the 1997 album This Is Hardcore. There are a couple of other songs worth noting on this podcast as well. The first is the untitled track of Pennywise's 1997 album Full Circle. It's one of those old school like hidden tracks that we used to get on CDs when you let the last song play for a few minutes and then something would randomly pop up. Obviously, we probably don't get too many more of those these days. There's also Alone in Kyoto by the French band Air, and that's off their 2004 album Talkie Walkie, which is one of my personal favourites. The intro music is written, produced and recorded by a local musician, John Bright. He's got a bunch of really cool stuff up on YouTube, so we'll post a link to his channel in the show notes. Offspring is written and produced by me, Bevan Morgan, at Momo Studios in the one and only Kirikiriroa Aotearoa. You can touch base with me via email. It's just offspringpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. I've also set up a Twitter page, which is just at offspringcast. I'll be honest with you, though, it's pretty desolate there at the moment, but feel free to give us a follow, and hopefully we can build a decent little community there. You can also find some of my older writings at my personal website, which is just www.bevanmorgan.com. Thanks so much to 89.0 Free FM and Access Media NZ for the help in producing this podcast and, of course, their assistance in distributing it. And thanks to you for listening. Hopefully, we'll catch you next week. Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.